Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. So that brings us to uh, our start of a brand new series. And uh, I have to be honest, I have been in church my entire life, 25 years, and that is flipping rude. That's, that's hurtful. You guys laughed way too quickly at that. Uh, uh, now I'm scared about it. If I'd said 35 years, which is actual true, you all laughed again. Then I would have felt real bad. Uh, now I am 37 and a half. 37 and a half. Been in church all my life. I have never in my entire life heard a series preached on this. I'm not saying it hasn't been preached in other churches. I'm just saying I've never sat in a church on a Sunday morning and had a series preached on this. Uh, I caught up with some friends on Thursday night, and uh, my mate Tim is in his uh, late 40s, and he said, what are you preaching on on Sunday? And so I told him, and he said, I've never heard that preached in church. I said, I know. Uh, And then he said what I said and what all of you will say when I tell you. He said, why are you speaking on that? Uh, Because what I want to speak on this morning is I want to start a a series on the Ten Commandments. Now, I know what you are thinking because I thought the same thing. I thought, why would I speak on the Ten Commandments? And I knew that we had Vision Sunday coming up. And so from even the end of last year, I have been just mulling over, well, what do I do after Vision Sunday? What's like the first series going to be? And do you know what it's like when you're trying to think of a word or the name of a famous person, and it's, it's right there on the tip of your tongue, but you can't get it. And then later on, you're doing something totally mundane, like hanging out the washing or washing the dishes, and you're just like, Johnny Depp! Out of, it just like comes out of nowhere, right? And so that was what happened to me. I'm like trying to think, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And then a couple of weeks ago, I'm thinking, gee, we're getting close. I've got to, I've got to find something. And there's a huge part of me that thought, look, the Bible's all good. Just pick something, Josh. You're overthinking it. I had a pastor friend of mine who just said to me, you're overthinking it, just pick something. I was like, no, I just really feel like I want to feel like it's a God thing. And then I went to Hamner with the family and I stayed in the hot pools way too long. And I didn't put on any sun turn lation. I got burnt and I hopped out of the pool. You ever have that feeling you're in the pool, everything's all right, then you get out of the pool and you've got to support your own body weight and you're like, whoa. (laughs) (sighs) So I hopped out and I said to Liz, you're going to have to drive home. Well, I'm wasted from just sitting in the pools and too much sun. And so we're driving home from Hamna and I'm sitting in the passenger seat. And out of nowhere, I just had speak on the Ten Commandments. And my first response was, ugh. Why? Why would I want, like, surely, is that, they, they're irrelevant now, aren't they? Like, doesn't the Bible say that we are no longer under the law? Why, why would I speak on the Ten Commandments? And so I had this conversation, you know, with God about it, and, and he said, they are not irrelevant. The Ten I mean, who thinks that do not murder is not relevant in 2020? Like, come on. You know, and so you look at some of them and you go, ah. And he said, look, they're not uh, irrelevant. In fact, what we need to understand is the Old Testament, you know, the temptation sometimes is to go, well, oh, we're New Testament believers, we're New Testament Christians, we don't need to worry about the Old Testament stuff, that's all like sacrifice and blood and a lot of murder, let's just, let's just park that. But that would be a huge mistake. I mean, Jesus quoted exclusively out of the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Paul quoted exclusively out of the Old Testament. Um, you know, Jesus himself said, he said, I have not come uh, to abolish the law of the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
You know, Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law. When the Pharisee came to Jesus and said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, don't worry about it. They're irrelevant. No, he didn't, did he? When he said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus didn't say, bro, we're New Testament, baby. Don't worry about all of that law stuff. It doesn't matter anymore. He didn't say that. He said, this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then the guy says, sweet. And Jesus says, now go and do it. Why? Because it still matters. It's still relevant. What we need to understand is that, yes, we take up a different time in history. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we have an entirely different perspective on the Old Testament to what the Israelites had. But we can still look at what happened in the Old Testament and learn a lot from it. It's still very applicable to our life. It is still a huge part um, of what... It, it helps inform us and educate us on on understanding how amazing we have it. Like, for example, in the Old Testament, uh, this is the Ark of the Covenant. So in the Old Testament, if you wanted to hang out with God, you couldn't. There was only one person in the whole of Israel who was allowed to hang out with God, and that was the high priest. And the high priest was only allowed to hang out with God in one room, which was the Holy of Holies, which was a special room at the back of the temple or at the back of the tent. So one man in one room on one day a year, he was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies and experience the presence of God because in the Holy of Holies was this thing, which is called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant doesn't represent the presence of God. It's not symbolic of the presence of God. It literally housed the presence of God. Now, I know that God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. But somehow, God portioned something. I don't know how he did it. But you see there's these two angels on the top with their wings like this. They were sort of cherubim. And in between is what's called the mercy seat. And the Bible tells us that the presence of God would literally come and presence himself in that space between those two angels. It was the presence of God. And the Bible tells us that the high priest would go into the space where the Ark of the Covenant was once a year, one day, to make sacrifices. But when he went in, he would wear a, a coat or a garment with bells sewed into the bottom. And he would go in with a rope tied around his waist. And the reason he did this is because if this one man in this one room on one day made one mistake, he would be killed. And everyone outside would know that he'd been killed because the bells would stop ringing. And then, no joke, they would pull him out with the rope that he had tied around his waist. Like, how wild is that? And yet, we can go into that room anytime we like, any one of us, with as much junk going on in our life as we have going on in our life, and we're totally fine. Now, if we didn't have that Old Testament picture, I, don't, I think that helps add appreciation to what we have. If we were to go back into those days and grab an Israelite and say, hey, I can go into that room anytime I like, no matter what I've got going on in my life, it would blow their mind. Especially if you said, but I don't do it that much because Netflix... Right, the Old Testament is a beautiful thing. Inside the Ark of the Covenant, and I'll just, I'll just say this because I want to make sure that you guys understand that we have a mandate to be preaching in 2020 out of the Old Testament, particularly on the Ten Commandments. In the Ark of the Covenant, it tells us in Hebrew chapter 9, verses 3 and 4, I don't know if you can read it, but it says, Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place 
which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Here's what it's saying. Inside the ark of the covenant, which is God's presence, there were three things. This is a whole other message. You're getting two messages for the price of none. Because I, I don't charge you to come to church. <laughs> I almost said something really naughty, but I didn't. Three things in the Ark of the Covenant. Number one, there's a jar of manna. The manna is what the Israelites lived off for 40 years in the desert, right? God brought it every day on the, the day before the Sabbath. They'd collect twice as much, so they didn't have to collect anything on the Sabbath. What does this tell us? This tells us that inside the presence of God is the provision of God. Inside the presence of God is the provision of God. Don't go after God's provision. Just go after God's presence because the provision is inside the presence of God. What's the second thing that we see? Uh, you'll hear the story in Numbers chapter 17, but the second thing that is in the Ark of the Covenant is Aaron's staff. Numbers 17 tells a story about how Moses and Aaron had a bit of a leadership challenge to run the Israelites. A couple of guys came out and said, look, we think we could do a better job. And so Moses said, all right, here's what we'll do. All of you guys lay your staff down. You guys know what a staff is, right? It's a dead piece of wood. It's a stick that's kind of been fashioned to herd sheep and corral animals and, and walk on. There's no life in it. It's totally dead. And so Moses says, everyone lay down your staff at the front of the tent, and we'll come back in the morning and we'll see if God's picked anyone to lead the nation. They come back the next morning, everybody's staff looks exactly the same, but Aaron's staff has budded into life and has almonds growing on it. And so they said, all right, Aaron's the man to you know, keep leading uh, the priestly uh, line. And so they took a bit of that and they put that inside the Ark of the Covenant. So what does that mean? That means that inside the presence of God is the power of God. Inside the presence of God is the power to bring life, to restore relationship, to bring healing. It's all inside the presence of God. But what's the third thing that's inside the Ark of the Covenant? It is the two tablets on which the Ten Commandments were written. And what does that tell us? That tells us that inside the presence of God are the principles of God. So we've got the power, we've got the provision, and we've got the principles of God. Now, you can't take the principles of God outside of the presence of God. You can't just follow a list of rules. It has to be in conjunction with who God is. And so I've got no problem standing up and saying, we're going to spend some time on the Ten Commandments, but we're going to do it in conjunction with the Holy Spirit and inside the presence of God. Is that cool? Yeah. Sweet. So now we're all on the same page. James says this in James chapter 1, verse 25, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. I've heard it preached that that's talking about Jesus. He looks into the perfect law, that's, that's Jesus. Well, the word law is a Greek word, uh, nomos, N-O-M-O-S. It's used 197 times in the Bible, and 197 times it's translated law. It literally means law. James is talking about the law. He says, when you look, that word look means to get down on your knees and really examine carefully. When you really study the law, which we're about to start doing, uh, it brings freedom. In the Old Testament, it brought conviction and it brought condemnation because all it did was say, you are never going to be good enough. But in the New Testament, through the blood of Jesus Christ, it brings freedom. It helps us live better lives. It helps us do you know, what God wants us to do. And that's why when the Pharisee came to Jesus and said, what's the number one commandment? Jesus didn't say, they don't matter anymore. He told him what to do. So this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at commandment number one. And you will find the story of the Ten Commandments. I won't... I was tempted to get some chocolates out and see if anyone could name all 10. 
Uh, we sat down with some friends of ours on Thursday, so there was Liz and myself and uh, two friends. So between the four of us, been Christians for like decades, and I said, give me the Ten Commandments, and they couldn't do it. And I knew it because I'd been reading it, so I felt pretty good about myself. I just sat there going, no, no, they figured a few things that they thought were commandments. I said, that wasn't the commandments, not one of the top ten. I thought I should do it at church, but then I thought, I better not, we might just feel bad about ourselves. So, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. It says, and God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. So quick background on the story. Uh, Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt. They've been tramping for about three months. They get to the bottom of this mountain called Mount Sinai. And God says to Moses, I want you to come up and have a conversation. Moses goes up to the top of the mountain. God tells him the Ten Commandments, gives him a bunch of other instructions as well. Moses comes back down and says to the people, this is what God says. And all the people say, that sounds like a great idea. We're going to do it. And there's a lot more to that story, a lot of stuff. The wheels fall off unbelievably quick when it comes to the Israelites. But what I want to do this morning, just very quickly, I won't talk for long, is I want to just run this through the filter of the cross. So Moses got this word from God, you shall have no other gods before me. So we're doing a series on the Ten Commandments. We're going to start this morning with commandment number one, and that is you shall have no other gods before me. That word before, in the King James, it says besides me. It's translated besides 54 times in the Old Testament. It is translated against 541 times. It is literally translated against 10 times as often as it's translated besides. And I think there's a little nugget of truth in that. There is no such thing as having a God besides God or before God or next door to God or in front of God. If you've got anything else going on, it is against God. That's it. It is God and that's it. And so what we're going to do, we run this through the cross. So you shall have no other gods before me. Jesus said, I'll put it this way, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And just in case we were left in any doubt that he wasn't referring to this, he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. So we know that he's talking about, you know, have no other gods before me. Now, all I'm going to do this morning, because I've actually already been talking for 20 minutes. You guys didn't even realize it. it went like that, didn't it? I'll tell you a real quick story. I shouldn't tell you, but one of our values is authenticity, being real. I am really sore this morning. Dan and Amanda know this story because I told them last night when they came around for dinner. Liz and I, who's married? There's a few reluctant hands. (laughs) Kind of like, yeah. Have you ever had an argument with your significant other. Liz and I have been married for 13 years. On Friday, we had our first argument. And uh, that's not true. <laughs> for, the, for, the, for the week. And um, so we had an argument. And it was such a stupid argument. It was so stupid. But I got really, really angry. Just like, oh, oh. So, so angry right now. And so I just, it was right in the morning too. It was like before we even started our day. Like we were still in bed, like just waking up. And so I like, got out of bed and I got dressed so angry. This has nothing to do with what I'm preaching about this morning, but I just need to get it off my chest. I was like, I should sit down and just tell you. Oh. And uh, <laughs> I need to sit down because my legs are so sore because I stormed out of the house and I walked in a straight line until I calmed down, which took two hours. 
And then I was two hours from home. <laughs> I turned around and walked back. So on Friday, I walked like four and a half hours in jeans and dress shoes because that was what was beside my bed when I got up. It was like 32 degrees. And I know, right? And I'm sunburned on one half of my body because on the way home, the sun was here and I got so hot, I took my T-shirt off. Uh, and so I'm all like burnt on like one arm and the other arm's fine. But I just want to tell you that because that's life. People, people argue sometimes, that's relationship. I want you to know that you've got pastors that uh, are not perfect and are more than comfortable to tell you that they're not perfect, that we're all human, that we need Jesus. And also, I'm getting sore like walking up and down here, so I want to give a reason just to sit. <sighs> hey? <laughs> I think Liz would like you to pray for me, yeah. <laughs> I don't need prayer, man. I was right. But... Um, <sighs> Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, she's not in here, eh? No, cool. <laughs> I, I want to tell you about a dream, a dream that I had a couple of years ago. And I've touched on this uh, once before previously, but I didn't go into the details. But uh, this is the most intense dream that I've ever had. I don't know if you've ever had a God dream. I get God dreams periodically. I get dreams that are pizza dreams. You wake up, you go, what, that was a weird dream. Oh yeah, that was the pizza that I had. Then you have dreams that you're like, 50-50 could be God. What did I eat last night? It was a pretty normal meal. Yeah, it could be God. And then I have dreams where I'm like so sure that it was God. But on the, on the spectrum of pizza dreams to God dreams, this was like off the chart God dream. This is the most intense God dream I've ever had. And... I want to share it with you this morning, and then I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to each and every one of us. Um, and I don't come out looking that flash in this story, which I'm okay with, because you guys know that I'm not flesh, and I've never claimed to be flesh. But I had this dream, and in my dream, I woke up, and it was so real, I'm still not even sure that I wasn't awake. I was just wide awake in my dream and I'm lying in my bed and my wife's next door to me and as I look down on the, on the covers of the, of the bed there's an invitation on my, on my chest it's a beautiful invitation it's gold plated it's embossed, it's got beautiful calligraphy on it, I can see veins of purple running through it it's a very very expensive invitation it's a royal invitation and I reach down and I pick it up and I turn it over. And I can't remember the exact words, but it was something along the lines of, you have been cordially invited to spend time with the King of Kings. At 6.46. That's what it said, at 6.46. And I remember I was so excited. Like, whoa, this is unreal. And then I thought, what's the time? And I turned to my left. I got a digital clock beside my bed. And in red digits, it said 6.47. I <gasps> know. Oh, and in my dream, I was devastated. I was like, I have missed it. I've missed this appointment that I had with the King of Kings. And then as I looked at 
the clock, it ticked over. But it didn't tick over to 6.48. It ticked backwards to 6.46. And I just had this overwhelming sense of relief, like I haven't missed it. Like God's performed a miracle. Through his grace, I can still do this. And then, I, and then the dream ended. And then I woke up, and I woke up for real, and I knew like that was intense. That was, I had all the emotion of it. It was so imprinted on my brain. And the first thing I did was look at my clock, and it was like half past three in the morning. And of course, I couldn't go back to sleep, so I got up, and I put on a dressing gown, and I went and sat in my lounge, and I just you know, mulled over, like, what, what did that mean? What could that mean? And, and then at some point, I had the thought, well, what if... What if at 6.46 this morning, like God shows up or, or something? Like that could be weird. Uh, and it got to about 25 past six and I realized that if he did, I was sitting in my lounge in my dressing gown. I, I wasn't like prepared. I wasn't dressed appropriately. Uh, and 6.36, or sorry, 6.46 rolled around and, and nothing happened. And I thought, I wasn't surprised because I didn't think that was what the point of the dream was, to get up and just wait till 6.46. But throughout that whole day, I just couldn't stop thinking about 6.46. Like, what does that mean? And then I had this bright idea. I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll Google it. And so I jumped onto my laptop and I typed in 6 colon 46, 6.46. Just like the time it said on my clock. And the internet went, you know, found 1.5 million responses in 0.2 of a second. And every response, like dozens, I just scrolled and scrolled and scrolled. Every response was the same. It just said Luke 646. Luke 646. Luke 646. And so I did what any of us would do. I grabbed my Bible and I opened up to Luke 646. And it said, it was Jesus talking. It said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I say? That was brutal. I sat there and I looked at it. I was like, whoa, that is really intense. Here's the thing though, Jesus said you've got to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. What does that look like? How do you measure how much you love God? We come to church, we lift our arms and say we love you Jesus. How do you measure that? How do you quantify something like love? It's really hard to do. Do you measure it by how often you come to church on a Sunday? Do you measure it by how often you pray? Do you measure it by how much you give? It's not what Jesus said to do. Jesus said in... John chapter 14, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. That's verse 15. Just in case we don't get it, he says in verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And just in case we still haven't got it, he says in verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Here's what we know from the Bible. We know that Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And if you love me, you will 
obey my teaching. You will do what I say to do. You will say what I say to say. The only way that we can really measure the authenticity of our love for God or the measure of our love for God is to answer this question. Do I obey His teaching? When I know that God has asked me to do something, do I do it? My conviction is that, just like the dream that I had, that the the meeting place for an encounter with Jesus Christ is on the other side of obedience. Samuel said it like this in the Old Testament. Uh, He says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. The truth is that we can give, we can come to church on Sunday mornings, we can feed the poor, we can pray, we can do all this kind of stuff, but the only thing that matters is are we doing what God has asked us to do? That's it. And Jesus said, if you do what I ask you to do, that's how, that's how I know that you love me. It's not that you come to church. It's not that you get dramatic when you worship. It's not that you give. It's, it's not that you're doing all these other things. The only thing that matters is, are you doing what I ask you to do? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I say? Man, that cut me real deep. This was a couple of years ago, this dream, and I can still remember it as if I had it last night. And I know it was God. The Bible says that he, he corrects those that he loves. He's like a father. He disciplines those that he loves. And so that was God's discipline for me. So, hey, I love you and I care about you, and I think you need to adjust in this area. And I'd like to think that over the last couple of years, I've, I've done that a lot better. But still, man, still nowhere near close to where I want to be. We're going to finish this morning and we're just going to sing this song again. What I want to do is to just give Holy Spirit a chance to speak to each and every one of us. And I'm just going to open up the space here at the front for anyone to come up. And I don't know whether you want to make an adjustment, whether you want to have a conversation with God, whether you want to say, God, I'm, I'm sorry, I can see that there's something that I need to do differently there. Maybe you just want to come up the front and just be in this space to hear what God has to say. The Bible talks about repentance. Repentance isn't about like, you know, whipping yourself and going, oh, I'm a horrible person and I got it wrong. Repentance literally means to, to change the way you think. I'm not looking for a whole bunch of people to be bawling their eyes out and feeling bad about themselves. It's like, let's just change the way we think. Let's just make a decision. I'm going to be someone that obeys the word of the Lord.